0: Gene and Roger is the story of the two most powerful, influential movie critics of their time, Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert. You can find Gene and Roger on the Big Picture feed, on Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Here's a quick trailer. It seemed like a crazy idea for a TV show. Take two rivals and let them duke it out about movies. But Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert quickly became the most popular film critics in the country. Millions of viewers tuned in to see whether they'd vote thumbs up or thumbs down. This is the story of two unlikely superstars who changed the way we argue. From Spotify and the Ringer Podcast Network, I'm Brian Raftery, and this is Gene and Roger. Listen on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's The Mismatch, presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states or 18 plus in D.C. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. Today's episode of The Mismatch is brought to you by Hulu Plus Live TV.
1: Welcome to The Mismatch. I'm Chris Verney. Joining me as he does every Tuesday from TheRinger.com is Kevin O'Connor, a.k.a. Kevin O'Bomber, Kevin O'Concert, a.k.a. Kevin O'Conflict, Kevin O'Climber, Kevin
0: O'Candyland, Kevin Croissant, Kevin O'Blizzarian, Kevin! Verno! It's Summer League. And Marin Fader's new book about Giannis is out today. I'm excited for that, for her, and for us, for everybody that gets to read it. But, uh, yeah, man, it's a good time. It's a good time. Talk about somebody that's living right. Write a
1: biography about the guy that the book's going to come out either way. And then he ends up becoming legendary, having one of the great NBA finals (laughs) performances ever hoisting up a finals MVP and the bucks winning their first championship in decades. I mean, you can't, you can't time that any better than a, Marin Fader did, and so uh, yeah, go grab that book today. It's available at all your uh,
0: local booksellers, Amazon.com, everywhere you would get books. Giannis, um, the improbable rise of an NBA MVP by Marin Fader. Go check it out. Go. Really great book. I love it. You're midway through reading it, I think, right now. I am. I am. But we're gonna have her on on Friday. Yep. So talk to it. her about it because
1: I love his story. I love Giannis. Um, as does everybody. If you don't, if, you know, if you don't like Giannis, something's wrong with you. Um, <laughs> summer league did start, Kevin, and. It's It's gone well so far. I got very, very nervous when the first night on Sunday night, the NBA had postponed the opening Wizards game. And I was like, oh, no, because, you know, we had heard Delta variant and uh, COVID had been going around Las Vegas pretty badly. They had reinstituted um, masks indoors and a mandate. And so... My great fear was, you know, Summer League got screwed up last year. There was no Summer League. And now this year, that was like the opening of Summer League, and they had to postpone the game. It's been pretty clean since then. Um, And I got to tell you, flipping that on and watching all of these rookies that have been drafted, I have had – the absolute best time watching this over, over the course of the last couple of days. Now, people can do the whole, oh, Summer League doesn't matter. Who cares about Summer League? Here's the thing. It was so hard in my estimation, and you can speak to this as someone who has to do infinitely more work on this than do I. This was the hardest evaluation year I can remember. You know, I had less strong opinions about players, weird seasons, everybody had their own struggles. Some of the, like the darlings of college basketball were were not good. Kansas was not a great team. Duke down, obviously their coach is going now. Uh, North Carolina down, their coach is going now. And there was a lot of the, Kentucky was awful. A lot of the blue blood, you know, big prospect teams, they weren't good this year. And not only that, and those are the ones that are on TV the most. Not only that, you had this disjointed year. You didn't have fans in the stands. You had them only playing 20-something games. So, you know, outside of the NCAA tournament, I didn't feel, I watched less college basketball last year than I've ever watched since I was a child. And so now getting to see these guys and getting to see them around NBA-sized athletes and being thrown into, uh, you know, their NBA system, as it were, with those coaches trying to get them involved, um, this has been a joy. I feel like I'm getting to see so many of these guys for the first time in, like, a real basketball game, just given that I didn't pay as much attention this past year, Um
0: what about you? And just flipping this on and watching it these first couple of days. Uh, I mean, I think the the sentiment that I've seen a lot of people, you know, share on Twitter and, you know, forums and everything is like, wow, this class has a chance to be extraordinary. Mm-hmm. I mean, we saw Jalen Suggs make an outstanding play after outstanding play in his game for Orlando Scotty Barnes shining for toronto jalen green just looking extraordinary with some of his step backs but it wasn't just the top 10 guys it's down the line you know we're seeing so many good performances trey murphy going off for the pelicans we're seeing flashes up and down this entire first round into the second round and you know like you said the college basketball year was not great for a lot of different reasons um but this draft class itself could be really loaded and, you know, even though it might be overreacting just after a week or so of some summer league games and just a couple of days of Vegas summer league here with all 30 teams there. Um, yeah, dude, th- this class does really have a chance to be special.
1: I thought it was very interesting. You're certainly right. And nobody in the top five picks will say so far feels anything but great about their situation, given the debuts of Cunningham and Mobley. Um, Barnes, and then who am I missing? Who was a third? Green and Yeah, Jayla Green, who was great in in his first night. Right? Yeah, those five guys. And inevitably, somebody's not going to pan out. And you look back, and once upon a time, we all got crazy nervous about Trey Young at Summer League. So, again, it's not the end-all, be-all. I I am of the opinion that... uh, when you are watching these guys, I'm looking for, in many cases, just what is not summer league good? What is something that you see them doing that is easily translatable? And that's the great thing about these guys is that so many of them, you watch them and you say that is easily translatable to the NBA in the end. Space is space, right? If I could come behind a screen and I could bury shots, like that's going to happen as soon as this season starts, right? If I can split guys off the dribble, if I've got great footwork, if I'm a dog that tries to block everything at the rim, like all those things – are translatable, right? Sometimes you're going to have good shooting nights, some nights you're not. But there's a lot of things you can look for, I think. And I think there's a uh, real reason to be very very optimistic in many cases of these rookies. Um all the way down the line, you know, you were talking about, you know, Trey Murphy. I watched the game last night that had uh, uh Cam Thomas in it. Yeah. Kid from LSU who yep. averaged 23 points a game for LSU. I mean, he they said he's going to be able to get buckets. There's no question he's going to get buckets.
0: And, and like it wasn't even a super efficient night for him. He was no. six of 16, but it was the way in which he generated those shot opportunities. Yes. You saw him get to the line, get to the basket, his ability to create space off the dribble. Like you said, guys are going to have on shooting nights and off shooting nights like you know, we're not overreacting here to to two summer league games for some no. guys, one summer league game for others. It's just about like with Trey Murphy. It's not just that he's hitting standstill threes. That's going to space the floor for Zion. It's that he's full on sprinting up the floor, catching the ball, hopping to stop and elevate straight into his jump shot and draining threes all net. It's the fact that at six foot nine, he's showing the athleticism inside with the poster dunk he had. To play, you know, maybe some four, you know, Zion, you know, maybe five, however you want to state it with small ball lineups, use him on the interior, get creative with some small ball for the Pelicans. So, you know, with these guys, it's not always about the results. It's about the process and how they're making plays happen, which is what makes it so exciting to watch. you 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 gotta know what you're watching for, right?
1: Like what is... What do I what do I watch and I say that would happen in an NBA game cuz there's always bullies in this thing. Guys that are just bully balling and pushing guys out of the way and getting to the basket oh, yeah, cuz they're yeah. they're bigger and stronger and like that that kind of stuff that doesn't take when you get uh, w- w- when when all the NBA players are playing. That being said, um I heard the most fascinating discussion yesterday during the course of one of these games. So it was uh, Uh, Mark Jones and Doris Burke were on the call. And that Cam Thomas kid had a moment where, I mean, it was just like this. This level of skill that you just don't see uh, from rookies typically in the NBA. And yet, it has not been uncommon recently. And so they talked about this. Like, it seems as if these guys are so much more ready to come in and be able to contribute to NBA teams and their skill level in many cases is so high. And they get into this discussion because these are the kind of discussions you could have at Summer League. And this is so fascinating what Doris Burke uh, was having to say. So Mark Jones said, "Atori Messina, uh, legendary overseas coach, told him that it is not true that Overseas players get more skill development. That's not so. That they, that in America, they do a tremendous amount. And then there's so much more individual skill development that goes on with these players. And that now they are getting to this age and you see their skill level and what they could do with the ball and their step, you know, the Euros and all this stuff. It's unbelievable. And he says, uh, and that's not the common narrative, you know, but this is a guy the coach over there. And then Doris Burke chimed in with the most fascinating thing I have never thought of. And she said, you know, Fran Fraschilla, who does all of our individual, you know, for years has done the European scouting for ESPN, said um, he said that it is true that these players from America are so much more skilled now. And they are even more skilled than their, you know, overseas counterparts. But in Europe, at a very young age, I had never heard this before, at a very young age, they play on a shot clock. And it forces a skill development that you have to have everything in your toolbox when you're playing with a shot clock. And this has been a thing amongst American basketball fans. It's like uh, on lower levels, and especially in high school, they don't have shot clocks in, in America. Right. I don't know why we don't. I've never really like dove into it and some have instituted it. It's become a thing where some places and some uh, some different, uh, you know, uh, jurisdictions or states have uh, have started to play with a shot clock, but that they don't. And that uh, these kids from overseas, they start playing with a shot clock very early. And it becomes this forced way of being able to play as a team, make quick decisions, all of these things that we say they just know how to play. And that they drew a line between that and playing with a shot clock earlier in their development. And I thought that was so fascinating because I could see how that's true. Yeah, right?
0: That's a great point. I really can. Uh, I just did a Google search uh, as you were talking about that for high school basketball shot clock and the first thing that pops up is how um Iowa high school basketball is going to implement shot clocks starting in the 2022-23 season. Wow. That was just approved. And that's high school. That's high school. Yeah, not even lower levels necessarily. Right. I mean it's true. Like it's different it's different playing fields. It's a different experience for high school players or middle school players or elementary school players growing up in different areas of the country, different states or different areas of the world. Like, that's a great point. I haven't thought of that either, you know, and how much that can help really promote development.
1: And I've seen high school games where it gets to the higher level and somebody's got some unbelievable player on the team. And so the team just tries to limit the possessions. Yeah. And they'll just play them 32 to 30 if that's if that, if that if that's the way you want to play but if you are forced to learn at a young age how to play within a shot clock i do think that that could it it greatly would help your development because you're going to a shot clock in college which they've now reduced which has been better way better yeah way
0: better yeah,
1: and way it's better. probably
0: way better for their development oh, you yeah. know what i'm saying I think it's, I think it's definitely shot clock. I think it's just also the access to information. Think about how much it e- easier it is now to type in, yep. you know, Kobe into YouTube and like right. there's thousands of videos with like all of his moves and you can watch those videos. You can have your phone out on the basketball court, try it, record yourself, then look back at what you might've done right or wrong, like self-assessment and, you know, looking at your own game. And this is true for anything. Absolutely anything Like I can I can give an example totally different outside of basketball my mother was a hairdresser for 30 years and like throughout the 1990s and into the 2000s she like around prom season would always have like so many girls coming in to have their hair done for prom and in the last eight years or so it's like not many girls come in why do you think that is? Because they're watching tutorial videos on YouTube and the friends are doing it for each other. Oh, wow. So like around prom season, like what used to be a super busy season suddenly became a lot slower. Mm. And that's because people are doing it themselves because they're learning how to do it from watching YouTube. Of, of like looking at, you know, tutorials. It's a lot better to watch, you know, how to do something than to, like read about it, like in a book or something like that oftentimes. So, I mean, that's a big part of it for NBA players as well, I'm sure.
1: I can't remember what the name of the product is, but my son has it where it's like a it's a yellow ball, but the ball's got a tracker in it and he can literally pull up on his iPad like it's skill development, basketball, skill development, right? He can pull up on his iPad or on a TV and he follows along. It's almost like it's like Guitar Hero or something, except it's basketball. The basketball is a real basketball, but it's got a tracker in it. So when you're dribbling on your right hand, it's counting on the screen. You know what you're doing, and then like the between the legs stuff. It's count. I mean, and this is just—he's just a kid. You could do it in your bedroom. Yeah, for goodness' <laughs> sakes, you know what I mean? It's, it's pretty cheap,
0: affordable for you know a lot oh, of yeah, people yeah, to yeah. get he something it like that.
1: He got it for Christmas, I think. Uh, I think my wife got it on an Instagram ad or something.
0: Probably under hundred bucks for something oh, like yeah, that. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah, yeah, yes,
1: because it's yeah. just a downloadable program, and you're just paying for the ball.
0: Yeah. 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 I mean, no, it's true. There's just so many so many resources available for people, you know, yes. like like whether it's the rules, you know, changing, you know, whether it's like extending three point line or adding a three point line or whether it's adding a shot clock or whether it's the fact that you can have the Internet and you have the access to absolutely everything, which is, you know, in society, sometimes for better, sometimes for worse, Um, in this case for better. And I, I really do believe that that's like because you, you talked to. These young players like I interviewed Cam Thomas because I'm trying to write a story about him for, you know, the preseason. And uh, yeah, like he's he's like an introspective person, you know, who is a hard worker who looks for feedback, who desires feedback and, and criticism and says he looks, you know, watches other players to try to take everything he can from them. And you can see that like Jalen Green, for example. How often is it that you see a young, you know, prospect enter the league with fluid looking footwork doing the type of step back that people often call a travel because he has already you know is in the process of mastering the timing of the gather step you know so it's not a travel so offici- officials aren't calling that so he can create that space off the ju- off the bounce to create a three pointer and he did it multiple times in his first summer league game. And it looked amazing. So you have a combination of elite athleticism and speed with footwork that comes as a result of good, you know, teaching, you know, from the people around him, you know, and also an openness to learn that he himself has and resources that allow him to do that and seek that guidance from people that he may never meet, you know, from watching videos and learning about it. So I mean, I, I think it's all of these things that play into why and the rules too. Like the NBA now, it's, you know, offense, it favors offense with, you know, no hand checking and all the rules that have changed the last 20 years or so. But all of these things combined, I think have created an environment for young players to get better quicker and enter the league more seasoned and ready to contribute than ever before.
1: Yeah, and I was having a discussion with somebody uh, this past weekend about this, about players not only being able to contribute early, but teams' willingness to let them contribute early because it was not that long ago, rookies simply did not play for bad teams. Uh, I mean, I was for good teams, I'm sorry. Rookies didn't play for good teams. They played for bad teams. That's yeah, who, you're right. They got minutes on bad teams because those teams were bad. They got the high draft picks, and the high draft picks played for those bad teams. But good teams, especially playoff teams, you can go back. And it was, it's not that long ago when you think about this. I remember during a playoff year, I told somebody this this weekend during a playoff season, there were a ton of complaints about, uh, Uh, Memphis not playing their rookies. like uh, It was like Jordan Adams, Russ Smith, like a couple guys, right? And I remember going through and being like, I wonder if there are other rookies that are getting minutes in the playoffs. And I went and looked and there was one and he had played in the G League most of the season and it was Clint Capella. So that's not that long ago. And that's of all 16 playoff teams, there was one rookie that playoff season that got real minutes. And that's not that long ago. And now, I mean, you got rookies contributing on literally every
0: team. It's a lot of them. It's a different deal. Mm -hmm. And And if they're not rookies, they might be second year guys.
1: I think part of it is they're better. There's no question. They're just better than they were, you know, five, 10 years ago. In many cases, I'm saying as a collective, not individual players, right? There's, obviously been individual players that were amazing early. Um, the other thing is when you're building out a team and you're paying these guys $40, $50 million when they're taking up that percentage of the salary cap, you have got to the the gold in the NBA is players that outperform their contracts. And you have no better opportunity at that than somebody that is on a rookie contract. So you're paying four or five million bucks For a guy that can start for you in many cases, play 35 minutes for you and give you like real production all the while developing along the way. Like, I mean, you've got to have four and five million dollar contributors if you've got one or two guys that's on your team that's making, you know, 30, 40 million dollars a year, which is honestly All the good teams are going to have that. Every team that has a chance at winning is going to have two guys that are making an absolute fortune. And then they're going to have a lot of guys on their team that aren't. And the trick is, can you get those guys that aren't to outperform their deals and rookies they're as good a chance as you got as anybody, unless you're in a big market and somebody just signs with you because they want to play for that team and they're willing to take a
0: you know, less money. I mean, think about like Jalen Suggs. So, Jalen Suggs, you know, we saw him uh, drafted fifth by the Magic. His salary this coming season will be six point five million, and then six point nine million, then seven point three, and then nine point two. That's the first four years of his contract. That's what he'll make. Year one, he could very well exceed the the salary of a six point six million dollar player. When we saw him as somebody, everything he did at Gonzaga, two way player, who just you know. Constantly hustles on defense, makes plays on the ball, aware off the ball. On offense, he facilitates, he's smart, hits threes. Like we are, like we, we know who Jalen Suggs is. We saw it in the f- first game of the Summer League. He hit threes when defenders went under screens. You see that play he made in the last 30 seconds, a two on one fast break, and he stopped the play. Like that is Jalen Suggs. So if you're the magic, you have him making, like I said, in the fourth year, $9.2 million. In the third year, 7.3 million, he could be worth like double at least or triple oh. that on the open market at that point. And so for the magic when you're team building and you have a good player you know drafted high that's contributing, that's insanely valuable. never mind the guys that like you said are making three, four, five million dollars that are drafted you know after 15 or after 20. like it's just that that's the thing with, you know we mentioned him in passing Trey Murphy earlier. He's making $3 million this year. He'll be making $5.2 million in his fourth year. Trey Murphy, six foot nine guy who can drain threes, defend, make smart plays, maybe play inside for you a little bit, run, you know, as a screener, hang around the dunker spot if you really want him to do that. If you want him to do that, like he, the versatility he has. I mean, that dude, those players make 20 plus million dollars on the open market. So getting those guys is like the biggest thing for your franchise when it comes to building a winning team.
1: And think about now, think about they both signed these $200 million extensions, but look at the value you've gotten out of Luca and Trey. They haven't made real money yet. Yeah. You know what I mean? They just signed for their real money. Mm -hmm. And it feels like they've been in the league a long time. They have it. They've played three seasons.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: One of them's one of the top five players in the league. The other one just led a team to the Easter Conference Finals, for God's
0: sake. And, and by the way, Luca's deal doesn't even ke- ke- right. uh, kick in until next year. Like he could, he's probably going to be a leading MVP candidate entering the season, yes. making $10.2 million. And this is one of the reasons why there are a lot of people who understandably argue there shouldn't be a draft, you know, like that players should be able to sign straight into the open market and make what they should make. I mean there's arguments on both sides for a lot of different reasons um, but for as it is now, as it is today, if you hit on a draft pick, those first 4 years for you, never mind the security afterwards with the restricted free agent with another potentially additional 4 years, man, like there's there's nothing better. Like that's the most valuable thing.
1: I understand that, uh, and I understand that argument. But in terms of it never happening, I would say it will never happen, and here's why. You've already got veterans that are getting replaced every single year, right? Yeah, that's a big part of it. It costs more to keep those veterans around. Your veteran minimum can many times work against you. A guy that would have an NBA roster spot is getting replaced for a lesser player. The other thing is you want to have that money for your superstars, right? And there were just too many mistakes made by owners back in the day. They did it the other way. Glenn Robinson got a fortune when he came out. Big country got a fortune when he came out. There were all manner of guys that got an absolute fortune before they had proven anything in the NBA. You want the money that is floating around the NBA to be able to get in the hands
0: of the proven guys. You Glenn know? Robinson, by the way, was a 10-year deal $68 million. Dollars. Yeah. And, uh, according to Wikipedia, that, that still time, stands as the richest NBA rookie contract as a salary cap for rookies was implemented the following season. So that was way back. And Glenn in Robinson was good. But what if
1: he was at a, what if he was a bust? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, I mean like a lot of those guys got an absolute fortune and it wasn't for the betterment, right? You want, you want that money uh, that the, that the league is generating to be going into the hands of the guys that are truly generating that money, which in fairness is the Luca Doncic's of the world. But lucas he just got his 200 million. You know what I mean? If you're good, it's going to be there for you. And you're going to, you know, by the time these guys get to year four, they are cashing in with generational wealth. If they're outstanding players.
0: And ultimately, like even if you remove the max contract, you know, for players, and let's say Luca could have signed for 60 million annually. Then that can screw some of the middle tier players sure. or the lower tier players who are on the back end of your roster. And suddenly, I mean, like it's it's a complicated, super it complicated is. conversation that like goes far deeper than we're touching on it here um, with the financial side of the league and everything um, and how the money is distributed. But like the NBA, you know, fifty one forty nine with the split with revenue between teams and players uh, is is better than what a lot of leagues have right now. Today's episode of The Mismatch is brought to you by Hulu Plus Live TV. Looking for a better way to watch live TV? Stream your favorite sports and shows over 95 live channels with Hulu Plus Live TV. Get access to Hulu's entire streaming library, Disney Plus and ESPN Plus all in one plan. Start your free trial of Hulu Plus Live TV today. Live TV plan required. Restrictions apply. Offer valid for new and eligible returning subscribers only. Access content from each service separately. Learn more at Hulu.com.
1: We were talking about it. We've mentioned Suggs a couple of times because I was watching that game last night and I was just, I don't care. I think he was like nine for 22 or something like that. It was the, the plays. He had three blocks down the stretch that were just otherworldly, like, the, the the level of attention it takes to do that, the level of like fight it takes to do that, and he is end to end fast. He is. I mean, he, look, I did a whole show about this right before the draft, so it's not like I watched one summer league game and this is what I think. I watched that game last night, and as I said to you uh, a couple of weeks ago. I don't know why everybody's not talking about him. There were very few things I was confident about in this draft. He was one of them. And Moody, who I really liked for the Warriors, was another one of them, right? Like, just confident of what they're going to be. And that Suggs has an extremely high ceiling, in my opinion. And so watching that, it confirmed everything I believed about the kid and what you saw from him at Gonzaga. So I tweeted out, look, I don't know who it's going to be, but there is no chance that there's going to be four guys better than him. I just don't see it. Um, Now, I don't know. And obviously, they've all looked good so far, but we know the way this stuff plays out. So it's not that crazy to think. The draft's never right in terms of determining who the top five guys are. My statement was just a compliment to him, right? And I said that there's going to be a lot of regret from some teams. I'm not kidding you, Kevin. 99 no, I don't even to say 99.9. A hundred percent of the response that was like negative to that. a hundred percent was all raptors fans. What is up with y'all Raptors fans? Like I didn't even say Scotty Barnes. <laughs> I didn't say Scotty Barnes was the one. Like it might be Evan Mobley. It might be Kate Cunningham. It might be Jalen green. I don't know. And I don't know
0: if it's because the mocks all had him. And so I mean, it, was, it was a rough day for Raptors fans, man. Cause they, they saw the drive comments when he said like, you know, Toronto is not my preferred destination. And then he kind of had a backtrack off those comments. It was a rough day for Raptors fans. You have, you have to understand
1: Scotty Barnes was awesome in his debut, but they're all like sending me Scotty Barnes box score. They're like, Scotty Barnes is awesome. We're fine over here. And I'm like, bro, I wasn't even talking about you. Y'all, did,
0: like did, I, uh, did Yusuf Nurkic respond to you?
1: <laughs> he told me. He told me that I should be analyzing the draft for the Ringer <laughs> because they got some bum that works yeah. over there. Kept, what? All right. So I saw that yesterday where you posted about Ben Simmons shooting with the wrong head. And Yusuf Nurkic was like, I can't believe Kevin O'Connor still has a job or something. I'm like, hold on. Now. now, me and you have been doing this show for over four years. I'm like, why does Yusuf Nurkic... Like, I could understand if that was like Tristan Thompson. I get it, right? He's mad at us. <laughs> why would Yusuf Nurkic... Do you even know him? Have you even spoken to him? No, i never met him. No. Him?
0: no. You no I, I, th- I think it was probably because, I mean the tweet I sent before last season when I said the Blazers are comically overrated. I said, Uh, you know, Covington's, you know, awesome off the ball, but he's average on ball. Nurkic isn't the same level on defense anymore uh, after his injury. And I said, like, they're more like a playing tournament team than like a top uh, four seed in the West. You think he saw that? You think he saw that? I mean, probably. I I don't know. Uh, I thought it was silly. I, I was honestly just left wondering why is he responding to this tweet about Simmons? Like I, I thought with Simmons, it was a timely observation because just weeks ago or months ago, Brian Windhorst, who's very plugged in with Clutch Sports, reported that Simmons might actually switch shooting hands. So like I've been, you know, quietly trying to like find out like, is he switching shooting hands? It's been no, 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 he's not. And then we actually saw the video that he wasn't. And, you know, I'm just, it's just Kind of disappointing when, you know, his former shooting coach, John Townsend, and his one of former teammate, one of the greatest shooters ever, J.J. Redick, both believe and have suggested to him that he should switch shooting hands. I'm tired of talking about it after almost six years now, to be honest with you. I'm, uh, may, maybe that's what it was. He's tired of me talking about it, but there's nobody more tired of talking about Simmons and his shooting hands than I am after almost six years. Hey, there was a lot of, be- <laughs> and there was uh, I saw, you know, when people responded to that, they were like, They took it as, oh, maybe they're going to end up being teammates. Oh, yeah, that was funny. Yeah, defending a future teammate, I saw those too.
1: Yeah, because why would Yusuf Nurkic be riding for Ben Simmons? It's just a weird thing. You know. know what I'm
0: saying? Oh, then there's also comments saying, like, there's a video I saw someone posted a couple years ago when Ben Simmons said, uh, you're too ass of a player to be talking this much trash. Like, they're just talking back and forth uh, on the court. Not, not a big deal, but people were just saying, why are you defending him? Like Blazers fans. It was just, uh, <laughs> I don't know, man. It, like, I didn't bother responding. It's uh, it a nonsensical comment and not worth responding to on Twitter. <laughs> Silly. Yusuf Nurkic. Anyway, these
1: Raptor fans. I triggered them and I didn't even mean to. Like I'm not saying Scotty Barnes isn't a good pick. I don't know. All I'm saying is I know the way somebody I it was it was my level of confidence in that kid and that we're gonna look back. I promise there is a 0% chance. I really believe that, that there's gonna be four guys better than Suggs in this deal.
0: And if there is four guys better, it means this was a freaking historic draft class. Because yeah. he could be a really, really good player. And by the way, you could end up wrong, Chris. Like there's could. a chance you're wrong because Probably this draft not. you could because this <laughs> draft looks really no, freaking good, man. Does. Like it looks really good. And it's not just an overreaction. It looked good before the drafts. It looks maybe even better now, after the draft. And we'll see how summer league and preseason. And their rookie seasons play out, but I'm highly impressed with what, what we've seen. How fun was Davion Mitchell? Oh, my God. That was, I mean, uh, oh, why, how did? It, well, how, how long am I recording? I've been recording for thirty three minutes and twenty five seconds, and this is our first mention of Davion Mitchell. I've been waiting for us to bring him up, dude. The way dude. the way he played defense oh, against my- Book Night. Oh my god! Right, so look, fun to watch. When we talk about,
1: <laughs> so let's go back to everybody that's always like the oh here we go with the overreactions to summer league, bro. If you can't watch that and understand how that is translatable, I can't help you. That is a million percent translatable. What he was doing, staying with this guy, this guy tried every move. Find the, you, anybody can go find the clip of James Booknight trying to shake Davion Mitchell. And you understand why in college they called Davion Mitchell off night. I
0: mean, yeah, it, yeah, right. it is... It's a great this, nickname, off night. <laughs> it's
1: an amazing nickname. Yeah. An amazing nickname. But when I have, you know, w- when I've talked about, like, what is translatable to the next level, go find the clip. And you tell me if that's translatable or not. Because this guy, I mean, he was a pit bull in college, as we knew. And um, and he's been a winner. Won state title. uh, You know, went and... Obviously won that national title, you know, helping uh, Baylor win that national title. It was an outstanding player and the most highly drafted player off of that team. And just first view of him in the uniform and watching him and the way he plays and defends and that, yes, it's a level up from what we saw at Baylor. But I'll tell you, ain't nothing changed with that dude. He
0: is what he was advertised to be on the defensive end. Yeah, I was talking to an executive a couple of days after the draft who, from a team who had no chance to draft Avion Mitchell. And, you know, they brought up to me like they have never seen a player enter the NBA better at fighting over screens. He was talking specifically about his skill to fight over screens and to like continue staying attached to the ball handler. He's like, I've never seen anyone better in my you know seven, eight years, however long he said he's been in the league. And like in game one of the summer league, we. We saw that whether it was fighting over pick and roll screens, whether it was in isolation, whether it's you know when the opponent was bringing the ball up the court, this dude is just a monster on ball defender. And even though he's only six foot, even though there's going to be matchups where maybe he's a bit undersized against some bigger, larger guards. Booknight six five, and he made his life hell. It was he Ugh. was a nightmare all game nightmare. long. Nightmare and. I'll tell you what, dude. Like sometimes we we look so much at measurables instead of just production. Like he plays bigger than his body. He's a six-footer on paper, but he doesn't play like it in reality. So how much do you weigh those two? You have to weigh the measurables, you have to weigh those things, the athleticism, how much the player can jump, how long their wingspan is. But I don't know how much it matters for Davion Mitchell. I really don't.
1: It has gotten people in trouble. And you know, I was Reading something a couple of weeks ago, and this is not regarding the NBA. This is actually regarding the NFL. And though the article didn't necessarily make this hypothesis, I I kind of drew from it regarding this measurable thing. For whatever reason, people can figure out whatever reason they want to come up with. But I'm on the I'm on the track of thinking that you are, and, and I think this relates to Mitchell second round wide receivers and i believe even third round but the second round for sure have wildly outperformed their first round wide receiver peers in the nba in the nfl draft so why would that be and i talked to somebody you know involved in the nfl smart guy who his belief was that in so many cases there are these guys that are great receivers. They are mega productive, but they don't test as great, whether it's the 40-yard dash, whether it's benching 225, whether it's the vertical leap, whether it's the shuttle drill, all this kind of stuff. <laughs> and there's so many guys that test off the chart and that maybe that's the position where it actually hurts the most because – The measurables do matter in such a massive way in that case. And yet, um, over the past several years, second-round wide receivers have performed so much better than the first-round wide receivers as a group. And the hypothesis was that it's the measurables. That's why guys have gotten drafted higher than their peers in many cases at that particular position. Now, going back to what you're saying, like, Davian Mitchell is one of those, what did we need to see? You know, like we watched him play basketball, right? And what, when you tell me how short his arms are, when you tell me what he measures with and without his shoes on, and like all of these things that do scare you a little bit, it dements the fact that I watched him play. You know, we had a conversation about this leading into the draft where I told you that you know the the, the sentiment at that time was he was going to fall down draft
0: boards a little bit and ended up going ninth to be yeah. fair to the Kings. He was a yeah. top 10 pick. It's not, not like he slipped to 20. He was a top 10 pick. And
1: I, and I told you at that time, I was like, you know, this is my kind of guy. This guy is a yeah. dog. But I mean, it is no fail player. It's like, what happened? What, 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 what happened here? Like we went and. I I went and put him on a scale and I put him, uh, you know, on a. You know, we tested his height and we tested his leap and we checked out how long his arms were. And we decided that what we saw basketball wise, I guess, wasn't what we saw basketball wise or that what he did basketball wise is not going to be able to happen again because now his arms are. I didn't know how long his arms were when I was watching him play for Baylor. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, what does it matter? And pretty clearly, I don't mean, think, I don't it, think it's it, it a matter. Arm, I know, I mean, but it not, it's, but it's not more important to Kenny play.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I think ultimately the the number one, the most important skill, and I thought Danny Chow, the article he wrote about Cade Cunningham a couple of weeks back before the draft was, I'm paraphrasing, but like there was a line about like looking beyond athletic traits and thinking about what happening. What's happening between the years? Mm-hmm. and I really do believe that is the key. It is the key to success, period, you know, not just yep. not just in basketball, but your approach, your mindset, how you deal with adversity. um you know, how like we talked about earlier with younger players, are you willing to learn new things and and try new stuff um to experiment and try to get better? It all happens in your head. And I, I think with some of these players, um, that's hard to read. It is so hard to measure that because even if you feel like you're drafting a 19, 20 year old kid who has that, maybe things change. Environments change, circumstances change, something happens in your life. You never know how somebody responds or evolves or matures. But for the most part, you know, psychological studies say people tend to stay relatively the same. As they get older, um, you know, in comparison to their group, you know, to their similar age group. Like if you are leaning towards like uh, outgoing, you know, at 20 years old, typically you'll be more outgoing against the same group of 20 year olds when they're all 30. Mm. Does that make sense? So, uh, like, I think with players, it's still hard to read, though, because there's always, you know, variables that are hard to consider. But that's what makes this class really exciting. I think. Cunningham has those qualities Uh, we'll see how he develops with skill development like he still needs to improve as a ball handler quickness and all that but like he's like he's really freaking good off the bounce and like creating those shots is going to happen over time and it's true for green Mobley Barnes Suggs like Mitchell so many of the guys that we've been talking about these past couple months have positive qualities there which is why one of the reasons why this draft class could could go down as one of the great ones. I
1: text you during the game, uh, that Cunningham game, and I said, like, this guy is a leader now. Dude, he is, man. He is up on the bench. He is cheering everybody on. Like, I love that. Yeah. I love that. Intangibles. Yes. He's the number one pick of the draft. He just met these guys within the last week, literally, within the last week, you know? And he's up on the bench. He's cheering everybody on. Like, that's what... That's what being the guy is about. And like, you know, they're going to look to him. And some guys just aren't built like that. But you can tell with that personality that he has, those guys are going to follow him. They just are. They're going to follow him.
0: Even though his debut was an inefficient scoring game. And even though the people who are skeptics of him are like, well, you know, he's not an elite athlete enough, you know, he's mm-hmm. got the ball on a string, but he doesn't generate a lot of space. Like skeptics might say that, you know, every player, every player in this draft needs to improve. Like, even if you're already a very good ball handler to succeed sure. at the highest level in the NBA, you still get to get better. But like I thought in that game for the Pistons, he led with his defense, with his intensity and his focus on that end of the floor. And just, you know, at his size, 6'6". Six, 6'6", six, 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 he measured at for Summer League. Whether he's actually 6'6", six, six or 6'8", six, I don't know. 6'6", six, six, long, athletic, can move, and versatile. But he played with his mind, and he played with hustle. He constantly was hustling on the end of the floor. Showed his intelligence. Showed his ability to defend multiple I positions. I just like the leadership. That, that's how you thing, lead. You know I mean, yeah. what I mean? That's what really you, stood you out lead to on, me. You lead on the court, and you lead with your voice. And he does both as a young player. Today's episode of The Mismatch is brought to you by USAA Insurance. When you're a homeowner in the military community, peace of mind is priority. And USAA Homeowners Insurance has the award-winning service to give you just that. They'll help you protect your home and what's inside of it at the high standard their members have grown to expect. If you have to file a claim, the process is transparent and easy. And you can do it all right in the USAA app. And they offer many discounts to help their members save. That could put your wallet at ease, too. Visit usaa.com slash homeowners to learn more. Eligibility restrictions apply. USAA means United Services Automobile Association and its affiliates. San Antonio, Texas. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you.
1: I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new
0: Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new
1: Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. You know, I've seen Cunningham, I've seen Suggs, I've seen Mitchell, I've seen a lot of these guys, obviously, whether it was during the college basketball year, going out of my way to check them out a couple times, or the NCAA tournament. The ones that I had not seen before that I'm seeing for the first time are the most fun. And that was both of the euros. So that Cunningham game, the first play of the game, Josh Giddy comes off a screen, drives to the basket and slams it with two hands. And I'm like, wait, hold on now. This is not <laughs> what was advertised, right? It was like great passer, great vision, like all this stuff. I'm like, this dude's just going to come off a screen drive and slam it down with two hands. I was like, okay. All right, Josh <laughs> Um And then your boy Sengun with his,
0: Pretty I mean, Ke- Ke- Ke-
1: Kevin McHale footwork <laughs> on Evan Mobley. I'm like, yo, I mean, the up and unders, the little pump fakes. Oh, was, are, you,
0: are you referring to the play where I think Mobley blocked him initially? Yes! And then Shengun got the ball back, put on like this nasty move to get oh! a layup opportunity. Like those two, those two, that game was fun to watch because Mobley was outstanding on defense, yes. man. Like, like, wow. Wow. At his level of just seasoning as a young player into the league and Shengun, like the footwork is uh yeah, that dude, he had some block shots. He looked better on defense, I thought, than he did when we last saw him overseas. Just mm-hmm. one game, just summer league. Yeah, right. But um, but he looked good. He looked There's good. no question got-
1: that footwork is real because guys don't oh, yeah. do guy, guys don't do that McHale stuff. You know what I mean? That's something that was like 80s Elijah <laughs> like, I mean,
0: it really was. Oh, <laughs> right, you're pulling I'm, out some big names here, Chris. No, I'm talking about <laughs> yeah. the way strictly footwork. Yeah. Yes.
1: I'm talking about the move. It's just a throwback. You just don't see it. Now, I don't know if it's going to work in the NBA, but I know it worked that one time, and it was awesome, Yeah, you know, because you're just not used to seeing it. That's not how guys score anymore. Nobody posts up and then does a post move with awesome footwork and scores. Like, when is the last time you even saw that? Do you even do you remember one post up that wasn't just like a baby jump hook in the NBA Finals? Oh yeah, I mean you didn't even see a lot, it. A lot
0: of jump hooks, yeah.
1: Or maybe like a turnaround jumper, like a post up that was yeah. like you know like a little six foot turnaround jumper. You didn't see one time in the whole NBA Finals, and that included Giannis and Aiton. Not one time did you see somebody get the ball in the post, pump fake up under, lay it in. Like that just it's not. It's something from twenty years ago, which, so I respect it.
0: <laughs> yeah, skill development happens on happens on the perimeter now more so than on the interior, which is why it's so cool to have that variety with certain yes. guys around the league. And and d- just to bring it back, to Giddy had a nice start to that game. Played what six seven minutes or so p- before spraining his ankle. Hopefully, he's able to to get back uh, and play some more summer league games. Like because l- we like to see these guys. We like yeah. to see how they've improved since the end of their respective seasons.
1: Okay, and then I would encourage anybody, you can go, NBA.com does a very good job with this. They do a very good job of chronicling the Summer League. It's their deal. they do great. It's their deal, but um, if you go down to, on NBA.com, it'll say Monday's top plays, okay? And you can see everything that took place in these games, and I always watch those in the morning and see some of the ones that I missed. And the top play is this little dude, I mean, he, he can't be six foot tall and it is an absolute tomahawk. Like I'm talking like a dunk contest dunk. And I was like, what Isaiah Miller. All right. So these are the guys, this is what summer league is about to be. Isaiah Miller. So I go look up Isaiah Miller, right? He went to UNC Greensboro and he went undrafted this year. All right. He's playing for the uh, Wolves, I believe, is the team he's playing for right now, right? How about this, Kev? Two time Southern Conference Player of the Year, three time Southern Conference Defensive Player of the Year, three time first team All Socon. And SoCon's tournament's most outstanding player in 2021. Um, he just got done playing for UNC Greensboro, where he again repeated as the unanimous Southern Conference Player of the Year and Conference Defensive Player of the Year. Um, played 30 minutes a game, shot 46% from the field, not much of a three-point shooter, averaged 19.7 assist, uh, seven rebounds and four assists a game. And he looks to be about five foot 10. And anybody could go look at this tomahawk dunk. But these are the stories I love, right? I don't know what's going to become of Isaiah Miller, right? But I will tell you that is a kid that had all manner of collegiate accolades, of which I was unfamiliar. And then you see him and then you go look him up after he's got the number one play of Monday. And anybody could go watch this dunk. I mean, it's
0: freaky. It is freaky. Yeah, he, he looked like he was flying. <laughs> flying. It, 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 it looked like he just wasn't going to stop. He's like 5'10", <laughs> yeah.
1: and he cocks that thing back. I'm like, that would win a dunk contest for somebody doing that at his size? Now, I don't know this guy, but I'll be
0: damned, man. He won. He won everything in his conference, you know? In that same game, I believe, was McKinley Wright, who mm. was a senior out oh, of Colorado. Colorado. Yeah. Uh, yeah, another another short guy, like five eleven under under six foot. and he had five steals in the game, which was on brand. like that's who he was. In Colorado, just a total nuisance, blowing up plays, hustling. He had a steal. I think it was maybe on Primo from behind when he was bringing the ball up the floor. Just poked the ball away from him. Like he's just a, a troll on the defensive end of the floor. And I just, I love, <laughs> I love watching those guys who go undrafted and and have big performances. It's cool. I
1: had him on my list uh, two years ago on our show. Because somebody had given me a heads up on him, and he broke right. like yeah. he broke all of Chauncey Billups' records, and like he had all these records there. And it was uh, there was two from Colorado, oh Billups, and then Dinwiddie. Yeah. So Dinwiddie. like, if you break a bunch of records there, like you've done something, you know. Like, they've had some outstanding point guards in their day at, at Colorado, and this kid had broken a bunch of those records. Did Isaiah Miller do anything in that game? I didn't even go look yeah, at the box I, score. Isaiah
0: Miller had uh, nine points on okay. uh, four of eight from the field. Okay. Nine points on four of eight.
1: All right. It's fun It's fun to see those guys, though. Like, right? Like, that's a guy that probably he won conference player of the year twice. He won defensive player of the year three times. He... He did everything he could collegiately, and he didn't get drafted. And he is probably, I would imagine, I don't know this kid, I bet he's at that summer league, and he's like, all right, you didn't pay me any mind for what I just did in college. You will pay me mine now. And I'll tell you, when the kid got the opportunity to crack one, holy crap.
0: Yeah, that was wild.
1: <laughs> yeah. Unbelievable. Isaiah Miller, if he never does anything else, that was awesome. Yeah. Absolutely awesome. The other fantastic. thing is fantastic. Awesome is, last thing before we get out of here, the second-year guys, you know, you always want your second-year guys to look like the best players on the floor. Desmond Bain Woo. was wow. out of out of control awesome. <laughs> like, I mean, just the, the shooting, and, and he played point guard. He, he was just dribbling up and just shooting in people's faces. He was stepping back. Ugh. He just, he buried them. Uh, but on the other side of the ledger, was quickly how oh,
0: quickly looks great
1: holy moly i mean look it'll be interesting to see how it all fits with kemba now right um i was a big quickly fan as a rookie no question about it and he has got some real stuff to him he put poor chris duarte on skates
0: yesterday in that game
1: and what do you end up with 32 i yeah. think yeah, he ended up with 32 and in the game.
0: His, his teammate, Obi Toppin, looked pretty good, too. We, we saw Obi go from like a lost, you know, he looked lost early yes. in his rookie season to looking competent by the end of the year in a That's limited right. defined role to getting more opportunities on the ball in summer league and looking really good doing it.
1: And you're just hopeful that your second-year guys that are there, that they look much better than everybody else. Yeah. That's what you want. It's always scary when your second year guys go like you and I were there a couple of years ago and I remember it was only one game and he twisted his ankle in it. But um, uh, the Lakers sent Brandon Ingram like his second year. We were all like, wow, Brandon Ingram's here. he only put one game. I mean, he murdered everybody and it was like, okay,
0: he's just that's so what, That's better. what you want to see. T- yes, Tyrese yes. Maxey too. Like similarly yes. playing for the Sixers. Maxi showed what he can be even though it's just one game he showed we he can be if he's able to develop into a very good three-point shooter 30% as a rookie always has hovered around 30% high school and college if he can become like high 30% that dude's gonna be a really great player for many, many years to come. He showed, he it's like a flash. It's a moment, it's a glimmer of what could someday be if he's able to do that with any consistency.
1: Well, in fairness, a lot of these guys, number one, they did not play summer league last year.
0: Yes. You know, none yep. of them.
1: They all, the, all these second year guys, this is their first run through there. But they probably, as a collective, got a lot more real NBA minutes than many of their predecessors because you think about, I mean, look, uh, Bain and then Xavier Tillman for Memphis played in the biggest games of the year and made biggest big plays in the biggest games of the year. Um, both got playoff minutes. Both were big in that Golden State play-in game. Uh, the same goes with Tyrese Maxey was getting playoff minutes. Um, some would argue not enough. Um, same with uh, Quickly. You know, I mean, he played on a he got minutes on a good team this year, you know, in the NBA. And so you have a lot of those guys that got real actual NBA minutes against competition and showed their worth. And now they go to this summer league and they're just clearly the best guys, even if you didn't know.
0: Even Malachi Flynn. for the Raptors had an outstanding first performance for them. You know, super efficient, did what he wanted on the floor, looked like a guy who's played a whole year in the NBA and is coming back to the summer league, you know, and it looks like he's playing against junior varsity, yes. right? Like, that's what you want to see from your second year players. Tao Maladon looked really good, you know, as well for Detroit. Not for, for OKC, sorry. Uh, I was uh, mixing him up with uh, with my other French point guard, Killian Hayes. The only French point guard you didn't love, yeah. Teo, Ma- Teo Maladon. How Unbelievable! How is he the
1: awesome one?
0: Unbelievable! You picked the wrong one. Hey, I'll tell I'll tell you what about Killian. He still has uh, some. Uh, he still hesitates too much on offense as a scorer. Still needs to improve his scoring efficiency. But I'll tell you what, Chris. Him and Cade Cunningham on defense could be a terror. Like those guys, like they can defend. Killian Hayes can defend. And I know Frank Nilakina can also defend. <laughs> so we'll see how his offense develops over the course of time. Uh, but the defense is gonna be something that always gives him opportunities in the NBA. Hopefully, hopefully his offense can catch up.
1: You know, oh, I and I thought the other day uh, when I was when I was flipping around. You see, I forgot all about this guy who started at he's always a highlight guy at Georgetown, and then of course at Texas Tech, Mac McClung. I forgot. Oh, yeah, he,
0: yeah, 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 yeah. I forgot. Right. I forgot he
1: left. <laughs> I well, I forgot he left college. Bro, yeah. he has got to side with the Lakers. They need their Caruso replacement. That well, uh, all, they, they
0: got him, him and Austin Reeves.
1: They could can all can fall compete in love to with, be the right? new Caruso. Yeah, the maybe it's Mac sign McClung, both of them. Matt yeah. McClung can be the new one, right?
0: The, they and, had good uh, games, man. He, yeah. he had both of them had big time plays down the stretch. You know, Reeves, Reeves had the game winner on the putback. I mean, <laughs> Lakers fans got a lot of fun players to root for, don't they?
1: Yeah, and the other thing is when you're when you're flipping around and you're watching these games, like some of the guys that are in these games, it's just um. Kenneth Fareed, Where where is Kenneth Reed been? <laughs> like that was just bizarre. He's there, Michael Beasley. Like that's not surprising. Michael Beasley just shows up in the weirdest spots, but Kenneth Faried, like what? Ha- he he was he played in the Olympics for Team USA. <laughs> like it was like the league passed him by within like two seconds, and he
0: was just gone. Hoops hype has a list of the oldest players in summer league. You got Beasley, thirty two. Br- Faried, thirty one. <laughs> yeah, Brandon.
1: <laughs> Brandon Knight's there. I was like, no, uh, I was uh, the Grizzlies played Brooklyn, and I'm like, why are they playing against like a 10 year NBA vet? This is ridiculous. What? What is this?
0: I can't believe Joe Young is already 29 years old. Oh wow, wow. Joe Young's already 29. I'm 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 feeling old seeing that. Yeah, that's wild. That is. He was a really good college player. He was. Who was so what uh the
1: one i had uh the one I just asked you about Farid, did you look him up? find out where he's where has he been? Did he go overseas? like when is the last time he showed up and I'm like, okay, this is wild. What happened? He was on team USA like sometimes there's guys that like leave the nBA
0: and then they just leave he, and like it's like he played it, it, in China in 1920. Uh,
1: 1920.
0: Uh, not... oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. <laughs> <laughs> 2019 20. Yeah. <laughs> and okay. as far as I can tell, he didn't play anywhere in 2020 21. Okay. Um <laughs> yes, uh 1920, he he did play in China. Um and uh yeah, that's that's the last I can see that he played in It's so wild
1: because you know he played he played he played for Team USA in 2014 on that Olympic team. He was on the Olympic team. Think about that.
0: And he's only 31. Yeah, still, young still young. I'm 31, so I can say he's young.
1: <laughs> it's cra- That's crazy. I mean, he was back. I guess he he was drafted in 2011, so 10 years ago. He was drafted in 2011, 10 years ago, which also, interestingly enough, included the Jimmer, who's back, Jimmer Fredette. He's playing for uh, Denver. Jimmer, the Jimmer is. And so, uh, got a couple of those guys, uh, from there. All right. Uh, but uh, last thing, because we got some breaking news before we leave, Kevin. The Celtics have offered Dennis Schroeder a one year deal at the taxpayer 5.9 mid level per league sources. This is according to Jordan Schultz. The current holdup for Schroeder is twofold. He wants the full mid level exception, which is 9.5 million. He also seeks a second year player option. D- Boston doesn't want to be hard capped. Oh my God. Dennis, I mean, I feel bad. Is it that sucks?
0: Be, bro, there's no way, there's no way your best offer is going to be 5.9 million bucks, right? Turned down 84 million. Oh. Sucks, man. Like, I feel bad. Oh. Got some bad advice to do that, you know. I mean, but also like it's the type he really, of thing he where thought he was going to win the title, you know what I mean? Also, don't think it was unreasonable for him to expect like around eighty on the open market, but then the market's not there for you because the year didn't go necessarily as planned. Mm. You know, it's just, it's just it's it's disappointing. But you know, for the Celtics, if they're able to get him for that, um, or if somebody's able to get him for that, that's a great one-year trial for for that team. And for him, maybe to restore some value entering next off season. but a Dangerous game, right, it's, it's, to turn down tough, money. Man.
1: Sometimes it can be a real dangerous game to turn down money. You know, you had asked me, uh, I guess it was our last show, about the Randall thing. And he said, would you sign that extension right now, 116? And I said, look, I don't know if you're making an all-NBA team ever again. It's just hard to be one of the top 15 players. You had this unbelievable season, and if somebody's got a piece of paper in front of you for $116 million, it will never be me telling you not to sign it. (laughs) You know what I mean? That's $116 million that you're getting come hell or high water. Man, I know there's some guys that have gambled on themselves and done better off, but it seems like there's an awful lot of stories this way, too. It happened, you remember the famous one with Nerland's Noel? Mm. You know, years ago, now this Schroeder this this is a real cautionary tale. Yeah. Uh, no doubt real, about that. Five point nine million dollars and you turn down oh, eighty. Yeah. Oh
0: no. Oh, yeah. I mean I mean, fortunately, you know, when you have, you know, tens of millions in earnings already, hopefully you're happy yeah, and right, satisfied right. and like your life is great and beautiful and wonderful. He's got a family and everything, but still you're turning down. $84 million. Dollars.
1: Man, if that's, I said Schroeder, I'd sign with Clutch. they <laughs> <laughs> <Whoa. laughs> will take care of you there the Lakers yeah, then.
0: Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see what happens there. By the way, just to add on one last note about uh, Schroeder, uh, Jake Fisher from Bleacher Report reported that the Celtics are exploring trade possibilities involving Chris Dunn before, quote, concluding uh, talks with Schroeder. So we'll see what happens there.
1: Wow. Chris Dunn was on all the mock drafts for the Celtics, the year of Jalen Brown
0: ahead of Jalen Brown. Remember that ahead of Jalen Brown. Uh, I know, I know Celtics fans don't like to hear it, but the Jalen Brown pick was booed. I was in the arena that night when it happened. Um, A lot of people wanted Chris Dunn, but more so than Chris Dunn, what they were actually booing was the fact that the Jimmy Butler deal wasn't going to happen. Like it Mm. wasn't a boo against the Jalen Brown pick. It was a boo because of the Jalen Brown pick meant they weren't getting Jimmy Butler. Mm. And so it was just a disappointment about that. But ultimately like that, doesn't that show you with the draft? Yep. Sometimes you, never, you know. never know. You never know how players are going to pan out. And even today, Jalen Brown is a 25 point per game scorer. Even today, we don't know if he's done getting better. That's the fear. And like the conversation about trading Jalen Brown for Bradley Beal. I mean, who knows if Jalen Brown's done getting better, he might come back this season as a 28 point, ga- point per game guy. He could get even better.
1: Well, and it's really crazy because they get talked about on two massively different levels, and yet one averaged thirty, and one averaged twenty five.
0: It's yeah, it's five points a game. Part of that can be opportunity and situation.
1: Yeah, right. Well, and the other th- the other thing is one of them is a long, athletic, unbelievable defender, great in the you know great team player, you know the whole thing with Jalen. And so I I don't know, like he, I think Jalen Brown's awesome. I did yeah. Think he's awesome. I
0: think they're they're both awesome. I'll tell you what, you can't go wrong having either of those guys on your squad.
1: <laughs> yeah, he's just not he's not best friends with Jason Tatum. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, that's the big difference. <laughs> right? I mean, there is yeah. a
1: thing there. That's and, a thing. and they're good
0: friends, but not like yeah. friends for 10 years since they were little kids. Right. Yeah.
1: I can't wait to watch the rest of the Summer League. It's gonna be fun. And then we'll check in with uh Miran Fader on Friday. Go buy her book, uh the Giannis book that came out today, her biography
0: about Giannis Antetokounmpo It's an inspiring read. It's inspiring. It really is. Yeah, it's inspiring.
1: Thank you to our executive producer, Sasha Eschel. As always, Kevin, I will talk to you on Friday.
0: I'm looking forward to it, Chris.
1: This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com.